Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Villagers Cherry Popping episode. As Robbie Fowler once scribbled on Lee Hendry's first England shirt, it'll be the first of many. He went on to play zero more times for his country, but we aren't up against Frank Lampard or Stevie G. So let's crack on. That is My name is Ian Ian Roy, and with me on co-commentary this evening are two men from Middle England who gave up the sparkling views of the shovel in Burton-on-Trent's High Street and the rough and tumble of the Derbyshire League cricket for a life down under. Now playing his trade in Tasmania's Sunday League, remember the name, it's Rafe Payne. How are you, Shag? Thanks, Ian. Good, mate. Good, good. Okay, and Sydney's Sunday League petter check to complete the Villagers' three in a bed. It's Hammerhead. How are you, sir? <laughs> Ian, I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. To be. good. Right then, boys. We are going to start off by making some connections. So, if we ever hear each other's names, we obviously use slang for each other. So, Payne, what nicknames do you go by? What do I go by? Yeah. Pain Train. Uh, Il Paino. If you hear Choco... Definitely related to Thomas over here. Uh, yeah. Mandy. That'll be Mr. Mandelberg. And the Hammerhead. Um, Ian, Ian, Roy, usually. Smythe, Smith, anything related to Smith. Going to be pointed at me. So, myself, um, sporting teams that I follow. Derby County, obviously, in the football. Auckland Blues in the rugby. Um, Mavs, basketball. Uh, Richmond in the AFL. Um, and Rams in the NFL are my teams that I go by. Mandelberg. Well, you've really rallied off a few there. I think, mm. uh, well, Warsaw FC, the Saddlers, straight away. Um, NFL, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, just purely on the fact that I used to go there for a month when I was a kid. Didn't know anything about them, but that'll be it. And um, Yeah, I, I don't think I've got any other teams. Oh, I was Sport United a little bit. Man United just threw me dad, but... Yeah, no, solid. I'll, I'll stick with Warsaw FC. I mean, that's the, that's the big yeah. one. Lower league football, that's a, that's a lot of us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. New new takeover recently last season. So, Ooh. yeah, Saddlers, yeah. Rafe? Uh, yeah, Burton Albion, the Brewers, the Mighty Brewers, Pirelli. Um, uh, and no other sporting teams. I love England cricket team, love the England rugby union team. Um, but... Realistically, my every Sunday morning I'm checking my phone and watching, checking Burton Albion's score, yeah. um, and then waiting for the YouTube highlights eight hours later and watching those. Excellent. So basically, this is a podcast. Um, three mates from the middle of England that have all um, migrated overseas. Pretty much, because it's way better over here. And if you like the Ashes 2005 box set, um, Alan Partridge office banter and have suffered heartache through multiple England tournaments, uh, general fails all the time, then you're probably going to like this podcast. It's obviously a sporting theme every week. This week we're going with Sporting Mavericks, which we will get onto. Um, but we thought we'd start off by just going through a few sporting moments or events that have shaped us as sports fans, um, so that you can get to know us a little bit more. I'm going to throw this one to Payne. Uh, yeah, my, my big... Forming moments. I used to spend quite a lot of Sundays at my nan's house, and she was obsessed with football and Formula One. 
And I remember watching people like Jax Villeneuve, um, Damon yeah. Hill, fighting out in the F1 with my nan. She used to make a lovely cheese and potato pie, and we'd just sit and watch that all day. So that she, fully enough, got me hooked on it because my dad never really watched sport at home until I got into it. Um, my mum certainly was nowhere near a TV with ITV or BBC on it on a Sunday afternoon. So I used to watch it with my nan. And then Euro 96 was the big one for me. I first time I got upset watching sport. First time I felt something watching sport. And Gaza's goal is burnt into my brain, as is Colin Hendry's head, the way that he looked. And the fact that he was in his 20s during that tournament is pure gold. Um, that's probably from a football perspective. And then one note that I made that I've researched today that has literally spun me out because I've been, I've had a memory that I've been remembering completely wrong for since 1997, uh, no, 1998. I, Derby played Barcelona at Pride Park and it was the, a year after they opened the stadium and I was at the time in the Rams Academy uh, through school, like some after school sessions with Derby County's uh, coaches. And part of that, I got to walk around the pitch to celebrate a year of Pride Park. And I walked around the pitch with a load of other kids from around the Derby area. What I learned, which I didn't realise at the time, the captain of Barcelona was Luis Figo in that game and he played. Wow. <laughs> and they had five World Cup players. So the World Cup had just ended. I've told a hundred people I saw Rivaldo score a volley in that game. He didn't even play for them at that point. And I read it today. It was a it was a Brazilian striker called Anderson. Oh yeah, not Jimmy, but a Brazilian <laughs> version, not the Burnley uh, Express. And anyway, so I literally have told people, numerous people, I reckon have called complete bullshit on me. Are you sure it wasn't the opening game? Sure no, no. Opening of Pride Park was 97. It was a year earlier. This, I've read it, I've just read it. This was just after the World Cup. They played Sampdoria for, for no reason the year right. before. Yeah, gotcha. Which was their first international. And then they had this. And again, I've, I've told loads of people it was the opening game, which was just bollocks. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I yeah. my brain had twisted Rivaldo. Mm. So I feel a bit, that one's hurt me a bit, but yeah, sports being, I've been obsessed with sport ever since really sitting with my nan watching hours of it. Excellent. Okay. Tom. Well, I don't think I can really top that to be honest. I mean, that's an incredible story. I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. One of the big things for me was obviously my dad used to follow uh, United round in the eighties watching going overseas, going to Europe. And I remember a vivid picture of him at Juventus and just fucking flares going everywhere and it's literally it was honestly it was in the front room you know you expect pictures of you know him getting married or whatever no it's Juventus v United and red in the pictures the, one of the worst quality photos I've ever seen but I remember I remember um you know watching watching I remember he was on channel four and it was uh it was New Zealand v England in test match and I remember I just for some reason I was watching it and I just I was probably about eight or nine I just dressed up in like a white t-shirt and white like trousers, I guess, but I was just watching it. Like, what an absolute loser. Just watching well, it. Well, you suddenly... say... Lo- 
say loser, mate. I'm pretty sure when we were 19 years old, we did that for a laugh and got really pissed wearing whites watching the Ashes one night. So, yeah, if you think that's sad, probably log off the pod now. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you say that, but I mean, that wasn't 19. That was probably 16 to 19. So it was about three years of that, just dressing up, watching cricket. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous, but yeah, no, I remember I was a, I was a I was a ball boy for Warsaw FC, and that was purely on the fact that my dad um, had a friend who was the match ball sponsor, and it was the only reason I was the mascot. I had no idea about Warsaw FC; I'd only ever grown up with United. I remember just going, and I remember choosing the whistle, and uh, I remember actually, I, I do remember this saying to the referee, I, I, he said, "What what uh, colour whistle shall I use?" I said, "Oh, pick a red one for Man United," and he went, "You're here for Warsaw." I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Yeah, but um, no, actually, funny thing with that with uh, with that game is that the uh, the with it was Warsaw v Chesterfield, and the Chesterfield captain was Sean Dyche. So there's a little. Uh, oh right, okay. Yeah, Yeah, so I've got a nice picture of me wearing a an away strip for Warsaw, which I think is a bit weird when you're playing a home game. But yeah, with Sean Dyche, and I actually have no idea who the Warsaw captain was. So that kind of dragged me into a bit bit of the bit of the football and the, and obviously the cricket. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's pretty much it, really. I, um, no, okay. I don't. Know. I think that's probably the early sporting years. Rugby was always a, a tricky one for me because I don't think I really got into like the Six Nations until I was at uni because it would always be like a, a winter occasion and you can get on the beers, go to the pub. And I remember at uni, absolutely loving the Six Nations, like absolutely terrific, like proper good. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I think uh, obviously we'll probably touch on it a little bit later, but obviously. The documentary I've watched this week was one of the best things I think I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. I've got two kids. Uh, that documentary has given me so much pleasure. <laughs> um, funny you should have mentioned Juventus, actually, because my dad also got me massively into Derby. And one of my earliest memories of his, is of him talking with my granddad about the Brian Clough era and when they used to go to the baseball ground together and the fact that they were massively cheated out of European glory in the semi-final of the European Cup against Juventus, which has been subsequently proven that Juventus were relegated to the bottom of the Italian leagues. So yeah, when when that was actually proven, like my dad's heart absolutely sank and he probably hasn't stopped talking about it since. I think every time I speak to him from the other side of the world, he mentions it in some way, shape or form. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Gotta let it go, Roy. You're never gonna meet <laughs> go, <him>. Roy. <laughs> so yeah, um my granddad and my dad both had season tickets at Derby. Mum's still got one. Oh, Eileen still goes and watches the Rams. Uh, Come but, on, Eileen. Yeah. So uh got to Derby, I'd say Derby at home to Crystal Palace when we got promoted the first time. Very famous goal, Robin van der Laan back stick. That got us promoted into the Prem for the first time. And I would have been about 12 then, 11, 12. And from that day on, the Jim Smith era was just the glory days for me. Um, getting to watch players like Asanovic and Bayano Aranio. Just on that, do you ever remember your first ever like game you went to? Yeah, very, very vividly. I went to <laughs> uh, Derby against Forest at the baseball ground, one all. Very, very famous Graham Richards commentary where he screams, pick that one out of the net, Mark Crossley. <laughs> <laughs> what a huge game to go to. Yeah, I know. First ever yeah. game. One all. One all at the BBG. Say, what, a, what a game to be your first ever yeah. game. I think it was my birthday as well. It was around my birthday. And I didn't want to go. 
my mum always likes to remind me that I didn't want to go to the game. <laughs> I was too busy playing on my PlayStation or something, whatever it was back then. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to go. But that definitely shaped me as a Derby fan. Um, probably the World Cup 2003, uh, Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal. I was still playing rugby then. And that day out in Liverpool, me and James Burton got on a minibus at 6am. I'd been given £80 by Eileen Smith to cover Friday night in Burton and my day in Liverpool. I spent £76.40 in Burton-on-Trent wow. on a Friday. <laughs> got, on, got on the minibus with about three quid. And thankfully, Mitch and Billy the Fish, etc., sorted me out for the whole day, for the whole day in Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a huge occasion. And then obviously the Ashes 2005 was burned. I'd played a lot of cricket up until then, but just hadn't really got the international spark until then. Yeah, I'm sure we'll go into the Ashes 2005 at length over the next few episodes, if not into the future. One right. of the great series. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the great, the greatest commentary to ever come out of sport. Right, let's move on. Today's theme is Sporting Mavericks, so we are going to get kicked off with that. Who wants to go first, gentlemen? Kick us off, Ian. Go on, mate. You've been polite. You've got Ooh, the boys involved. Okay. You can kick him off, mate. Go um, on. Already mentioned Euro 96. Uh, my Sporting Maverick is Paul Gascoigne. Uh, there are many, many um, yarns about Paul Gascoigne. One of my favourites is of his time when he played at Middlesbrough. Now, it's coming towards the end. But unbelievably, Brian Robson made the decision to put him in a house with with Paul Merson and Jimmy Five Bellies. <laughs> they, all, they all lived together in the same house. And what they used to do in the evening was they'd all put £100 on the coffee table while they were watching TV. They'd take copious amounts of drugs, drink lots of beer, and then whoever was awake last at the end of the night got to take the money. <laughs> and they would literally play it every single night. <laughs> and then go and play football the next day. Gentlemen, I think the Maverick, the, the key thing about a good Maverick as well is they're a freakish talent because yes. there's lots of examples you can pull out who have ruined their career or been a bit loose but haven't been superstars but you're talking about one of the best players to have ever played the game certainly for who's England. like yeah certainly widely regarded in numerous countries as a great player yeah he, he played for a... Lazio didn't he like when Serie A was in its pomp and he was one of the best players amongst um the elite in Italy um and yeah, there's obviously loads of stories about him. Um, another one that I like was when he... <laughs> when they'd finished having their lunch, apparently they'd all make their way onto the team bus to go to an away game. And Gazza always made sure that he ate his lunch quick so that he could go and cause chaos on the bus. And one day, apparently the driver left the key in the, in the ignition. <laughs> <laughs> and Gazza's legged it straight down the front of the bus. And started driving, started driving the team bus out on down the country lanes in Middlesbrough, and he ram he rams it about three hundred yards down the road, rams it into a bollard, <laughs> literally driving it like a car, full full steam ahead. Yeah, but what a player! My God, that goal! What a ma- the, the, what a maverick! Yeah. <laughs> 
that goal in Euro '96 will, yeah, it's etched in my memory and will be till the day I perish. If anyone hasn't done this, just search on YouTube Gaza's Gaza's best Rangers goals, and mm. there are some ridiculous efforts in there. And he also scored a worldie against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final, didn't he? Free kick Ro- from uh, miles out. Yeah, and then he's... didn't he get? That's when he had his really bad injury. He tried to smash Gary Charles against Forest at Wembley and crippled himself. Not Craig Charles from um, <laughs> Red Dwarf. Looks quite similar, actually, interestingly enough. Uh, and then obviously the famous incident at Italia 90 where he um, was suspended for the final if they got through, which they didn't, but he started crying on the pitch and Gary Lineker gave it the old um, to the manager, have a word with him, have a word with him. Can I just go back to the Craig Charles point? But I can't believe, Rafe, that you've said Red Dwarf there. I was thinking either Takeshi's Castle or uh, Robot Wars, and you went with Red Dwarf. Robot Wars. I had. I was about to reel off Robot Wars. I remember Jonathan Pierce was the commentator, and I thought I'd done myself a mischief. But I think was Charlesy the presenter of Robot Wars. Oh God, he was. Yeah. And right. Let's just wasn't... quick, quick tangent. How good? A. How good was Robot Wars? <laughs> and not as good as Takeshi's Castle, but still very good. Keshe Castle is funny. There's something really satisfying about watching a bunch of virgins who have made, desperately made their robot they think is really substantial. And then Sakilalot comes in and fucking torches it, stabs it in the head. Matilda comes and swings the axe on it. And Sergeant Bash shoves it in a hole. And you just watch <laughs> their little hearts burst. Yeah. And you've got them. And then you've got Jonathan Pierce taking the piss over commentary, and then Craig Charles directly taking the piss out of the That actually makes me want to go back and watch a few yeah. of them. Three it would years have been... of hard work creating a robot <laughs> for it to be torn to pieces in 30 seconds. It's the killer lot, just going absolutely mental. Love that show. Yeah, I always wanted the job of the person on Takeshi's Castle who got to sit behind the cannon firing balls at people trying to walk across the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. some excellent footage of people getting smashed in the face during that game what the pay would have been like back then <laughs> <laughs> lucrative deal I'm sure annual leave <laughs> right that's my maverick done Tom well, I think um, I mean Gaza I mean stories are endless the stories are endless and I think um the man I'm about to speak about, I mean, what a gent. And the man I'm talking about is John Daly, the golfer. And one of the great things about John Daly is that this is a little bit before my time. So obviously all I've done is ever seen, you know, the newspaper articles or the stuff online about how good he was. And of course, now in this modern age, the TikToks and the the Instagram posts with basically him with a cigarette hitting a golf ball off a beer can, which for me, is absolutely ideal. Um, And I I just think that you you can't beat that. I mean, the man does not give one single shit. He really doesn't. Like, a professional athlete, and he's just smashing beers, smashing cigarettes, and he he doesn't care. No, no, zero fucks given. The hair, the hair the man wears is incredible. The his entire rig, the clothes he chooses, it's just fucking brilliant. 
literally ridiculous. And I, and you know, I, I was looking up and thinking, you know, I'll have a bit of a read about him before to see exactly what he's done. And what really made me laugh and what made me think, yeah, this is the maverick I want to talk about is the fact that if you go on Wikipedia and you look at 1996 to 2000, the, uh, the, uh, what the title is, is just says struggles. And I thought, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Wikipedia profile is good when it says something like, yeah, struggles or personal life or problems. Cause then I go, like, I'm constantly, if I'm watching sport, I'm constantly Googling the players that are playing. And I go through and there's some boring ones. Like I went on Zach Crawley's, for example, because I had it in my head. Zach Crawley was working class background, but he's not. His dad's one of the wealthiest people in England, like a billionaire. And for some reason, someone had told me at some point that wasn't the case. But it's the most boring Wikipedia profile ever because it's about cricket. Then you go on Ben Stokes's and it's literally got like a bibliography of mental stuff that he's done. And I think I'm instantly warmed towards Stokes because you know he's a real human, you know. Yeah, another maverick, definitely, Benjamin Stokes. Yeah, he's kicked the odd bloke, but, you know. (laughs) That was Halsey, wasn't it? I actually was at Andrew Cooper's 12th birthday the day that John Daly won the Open. I remember that's the very first time I came across him. He was wearing some ridiculous trousers and the cameras were on him the whole way round. And we wanted to go on the toboggans. Do you remember the toboggans in Tamworth? I certainly do, yeah. yes. Snowdome. Yeah, the Snowdome. Yeah, we all wanted to go on that. And John Cooper, also a massive Warsaw fan, funnily enough. There you go. He refused to let us go on the toboggans because he wanted to watch the golf. He wanted to watch John Daly. So we literally sat there with a can of Coke and a bag of crisps each watching the golf for Andrew Cooper's 12th birthday. That's that, You wouldn't have had it any other way, though. No. I think... Um, he must have had a few I, hundred quid on it. Um, he also we... took us, for the same birthday, he took us to watch at the Saddlers. He took us to watch... Manchester United reserves versus Aston Villa reserves. And he told us that there was a load of really good players playing for Man United and to get all their signatures. And in order to get their signatures, he handed out a round of beer mats. <laughs> Literally handed out a load of white beer mats to get these lots of signatures. Turned out they were Paul Scholes, David Beckham, the Neville brothers, like all, no. all of those guys. Yep. And obviously, safe to say, we all threw the beer mats away on the way home. Yeah, I do vividly remember going to to watch that game um, and seeing uh, many little skulls here in midfield. Fantastic. I, I mean, just just back on John Daly. I mean, I I literally again on Wikipedia when you're just trying to read about this bloke and what he's done. Again, looking on his page, incidents during golf tournaments. You literally have to scroll down the amount of things he's done. And the first thing you read, and again, like I've not seen this, but um, we're just we're just picking Mavericks. And it's him parking balls and trying to hit them over spectators. And I'm just like, oh, my <laughs> God. Going, that is the first thing you've read. He's just trying to tee off over people. I'm absolute lunatic. And I just think that's hilarious. Just, But also, like, when you say Mavericks, when we're talking Mavericks, we're talking about people that absolutely back themselves as well. And I've got such big self-belief in what they do. The fact that this guy is just like, yep, stand there in the middle of a tournament. I'll just tee off over you. Great. Mm. Like, that is incredible. Yeah. He's good. And then add to that diet coke drinking, <coughs> the diet, the, the ciggies that he punches. Cause like they're all rumors and things you see on social media. But when you're averaging 
more than 18 cigarettes that means you you're obviously more than one per hole which i find hilarious in the context of sport and like in the documentaries that you see of him when he has his grip it rip it and sip it tag phrase and things you just you can't beat that for me <laughs> he's still an absolute gun by the way him and his son play on the that tour where like tiger woods and his son play his son um, christian daily <laughs> scottish international it's a niche a niche one there right i'm pretty sure he won it i'm pretty thought sure they won it together his son's really really good as well and yeah daily still like christian daily by the way i mean like i said it was a niche one but hell of a player yeah christian yeah. daily yeah played right back for the rams in the igor stimac team yeah, I'm just going to have a quick search for Christian Daly, actually. Yeah, we'll have played him, I imagine, oh, uh, over 50 times for Scotland. This is how famous he is. Christian Daly's first thing that comes up, LinkedIn.com, uh, systems engineer for Boeing. So it doesn't even come up. I've got to type in footballer, which is grim. I actually feel a bit bad for him for that. That's about his surname wrong, to be fair. <laughs> Christian Daly. Uh, well, have a guess at how many international caps. Yeah, I'm on his page now. Are you? No, obviously. Go on then. How many international caps for Scotland? Fifty-six. Tommy. Sixty-three. Tom wins it. It's sixty-seven. Oh. I'm just gonna have a look to see if he's got an incidents uh, tab. Would have been the stalwart in the Craig Brown era, I'd imagine. Uh, quite a boring profile, to be fair. He's got a fair amount of honours. Uh, including UEFA Cup runner-up. Blackburn? No. Yeah, no. Rangers. Rangers, yeah. Um, Personal life, his sister's a journalist and his son (laughs) has signed for Dundee United in 2015 and was released in 2018. Oh, here we go. This looks good. This is under international career. Daly was famously caught unaware after Germany's 2-1 defeat of Scotland on the 10th of September 2003. He returned to the dressing room after the match shouting, cheats, fucking cheats, fucking (laughs) diving cheats. The outburst was being broadcast live on BBC Scotland as then Scotland manager Bertie Vogts was being interviewed by Chick Young. The player would have remained anonymous had it not been for Vogts shouting, Christian, mid-interview to stop the tirade. (laughs) Excellent. Ah, that's what we're here for. Yeah, great, great stuff. Right, Rafe, your maverick, please. I'm going to keep mine really brief. It's Maradona. Um, Oof. Obviously, obviously before my time as a as a real player in his pomp, but one of the players similar to Pele that have legendary status. I've seen that video that's on social media of him doing a line of coke after he scored a goal where um, the drinks man runs on with some pow- some kind of powder he has on his hand and <laughs> Diego gets it straight up his schnoz. That's tour. And the way he behaved in that World Cup finals as a morbidly obese man, just giving the finger to a load of away fans, it was one of the African nations, I think, from memory. Um, that's tour. Um, and... Obviously, like Napoli had links to the mafia, who was massively in with. So you can just assume his lifestyle away from football at that time would have just been hookers, cocaine, all that kind of stuff. But could then turn it on 
in a game and light up the um, light them all up. Um, have you heard the story about Gary Lineker going over to Argentina to do a BBC documentary with Maradona? No. So he got in this box with him, but before he went um, upstairs, he said to Gary Lineker, you can come up, but if you look at any of the women, I'll have you murdered. <laughs> Literally. Brilliant. What a psychopath. But yeah, yeah. genuinely one of the most talented. Up there with Ronaldinho, probably. Ronaldinho That's... and Maradona, the, the two most naturally gifted footballers I've ever seen. And outside of now Everyone in England, it always annoys me, because I always talk about hand of God, but he also scored one of the greatest goals of all time in that game. Correct. And England were dreadful and wouldn't have done anything regardless. And it all kind of adds to the aura of the man, really. And like, if that was an English player, we would have claimed it and we wouldn't have been too bothered. Um, And then, obviously, the last thing of him that I loved was watching his warm-ups when the rest of the team were really getting into it. He's in the middle of the pitch, just belting the ball as high as he could and juggling it around. And you can just tell the rest of his team must hate him, but love him. Yeah. Just to clarify, uh, England did actually score their own hand of God in the Mike Bassett football manager when Kevin Tonkinson came on. So, just to clarify, we did get a we did get retribution for that. So <laughs> we did, uh, yeah, good old Kevin Tonkinson. England will play four four fucking two. Don't drop me, boss. Don't drop me. <laughs> All these that, that... blokes. That is an unbelievable film. If you, if if anyone has to watch that, that's up there for me. Completely on YouTube. In future episodes, we could definitely look into um, a sporting documentary or like TV film or something like that along those lines. Would be very good. Right, we're moving on to Living with the Lions, nineteen ninety seven. In definitely, my opinion, the greatest sports documentary that's ever been made in a non-professional era, pretty much the only sports documentary I've ever watched that's from the non-professional era, where 36 lads from England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales got together. Um, For anyone who doesn't know the history of the Lions, every four years they go on tour to either Australia, South Africa or New Zealand, play a series of games against the the club teams and then have a three-match test series against the international team. And I think since this tour... The only other win that they've had was in 2013 against Australia. So it was a pretty monumental victory that was all caught on camera. But that's not the stuff we're going to be focusing on um, because some of the players and their antics um, around the games are absolutely sensational. So I think we've all had a watch of it and thoroughly enjoyed it and made some notes to discuss. So, Payno, do you want to give us a few? Um, yeah, so for context, the documentary starts, and they're all in uh, they're all in England, and they are the squad are basically getting to know each other, and they're having a pre briefing, having numerous pre briefing sessions before they fly out to South Africa. So it's like a pre tour camp, I guess you'd call it. And the documentary makers behind the scenes, and there's also a handheld camera that the players share around so they get their own content. And it's just on the cusp of players worrying about being media trained. So it's the sweet spot, whereas like there's modern day documentaries like the Man City documentary, for example, where it's just clinical and it's marketing bullshit, whereas this is just a bunch of 
well, realistically, it's a bunch of athletes with no idea and full of testosterone and stuff. So first thing I noted was how village the team bonding exercises were. So this is a, I know they're not at that time rugby, I don't think was professional yet, Smithy, you told me about rugby union wasn't yet, but it's still a professional sporting environment where it's the best players of that sport (laughs) of the entire British Isles and Ireland, the best players meeting up. Their way that I found particularly funny of doing team bonding was they basically did like a ropes course that um, youth offenders get told to do to get on good behaviour, where they go up on a ropes course and they do trust exercises. Um, one thing I noticed is there was an, an exercise where they were strapped into a harness on like um, a on a rope and was trying to balance on top of milk crates and thought in what world would a professional athlete be put through that risk just for the sake of some trust exercise. Exactly, yeah. And in that training camp as well, I noticed one scene that is, in 2023, is gross misconduct, sexual assault, and probably imprisonment. What happens is the players, again, are doing some weird trust exercise and having a bit of a wrestle. And at one point, one of the players touches another player's knob and says, oh, what's this then? (laughs) And then the the other group who are holding him down laugh their heads off. Yeah, brilliant. And I think, can you just imagine the HR (laughs) write-up of that? (laughs) And again, today's day and age, that is like full, you know, investigation territory, whereas then they're cackling with laughter. Brilliant. Who's your favourite character? Mine? Yeah. Will always be Keith Wood. Keith Wood, yeah, yeah. The raging potato. Tom? Um, Don't have to give me a name, just a description if you if you found anyone funny. Oh God, what's his name now? Um, is it Doddy? What's his name? Doddy. Doddy Weir. Doddy yeah, Weir. Yeah. Honestly, very sadly got injured. Yeah. And he's he's passed away, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Motor neuron disease. Yeah. Um, I mean, that when they're sat there and they're talking about. That the the South African press have caught them, have caught him out um, when at midnight in a in a club, and the curfew was eleven p.m. And I was watching it, going, "All oh, right, okay." Because again, like I I, I didn't realise that you know that professional rugby union didn't really get there till till probably what two thousand three World Cup was yeah, properly like World Cup nineteen ninety five was the last amateur one year, so about late nineties it would have gone um, professional yeah after this. So it's still in its infancy, and yeah. him just sat there, and I'm thinking, oh, he's getting a right telling off here, and they're saying, oh, we're not, we're not saying you're not pissed, but, and his reaction just saying mistaken identity, and then every player pissing themselves, laughing, slapping him on the shoulders, and in tears. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I was like, this is absolutely hilarious. But he goes on to then say, oh, my dad's out here as well, as if to try and put the blame on him. I was honestly, I, I was in tears, and I thought, yeah, for me. Instantly, just with two words, mistaken identity, brilliant. Like cool. team meeting, front of everyone, all the staff, done. Favorite. Uh, my yeah. favorite character is Fran Cotton, uh, who is the human embodiment of Peter Griffin. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, he just looks so funny. Everything. I just can't take him seriously at all. Um, the one thing from that. The, the pre-tour bit that you were talking about was the 
incredible um, lack of sports science that the one thing that they mentioned regarding sports science was this. One man stands in front of the whole group, about 40 people in a room, and tells them that they should be pissing every two hours. And, <laughs> and he was being genuinely serious that their piss should be pale. <laughs> and that is the only thing pre-tour that they talk about from a sports science perspective. In fact, in the whole documentary, it's the only thing that they mention. It's the only uh, thing you hear, because the rest of it's the polar opposite, because yeah. they're on the lash and they're having a great so time. So good. Also, Bentos, when he's in the gym, and there's the vet, the, there's the famous one where he interviews um, interviews that lady, and she's she's really, really into it, being really, really friendly. And again, is that Jennifer, this, is it? Is it Jennifer, I think? Lauren, Lauren I've written the Lauren, name. Lauren, yeah. Lauren. And, she is stunning as well, by yeah. the way. And... He inexplicably, in the modern era, he would probably again be under police charges for this. But he focuses the camera for the majority of the interview squarely on her tits while he's interviewing her. In a gym in Absolutely South Africa. Absolutely outrageous, yeah. He then goes and talks to another lady, and his first question is Are you married? <laughs> And she go, She looks at him with disgust and says yes. And he replies with happily. <laughs> and then she says yes. And she goes, thankfully, yes. Yeah. And he then has to backpedal massively. Yeah. He goes, oh, well, that is good love. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, she was my first choice. And then he, he pans to a fat bird on the treadmill and goes, here's one for the front five. <laughs> it's like pub banter that's on a oh. documentary released for the you know the world to see. Amazing. You, you're just not getting that. There's no way in earth. I mean, look at all the things now, the documentaries, like look at all the uh, all or nothing. So there's no way in hell that you're getting anything like that ever. And honestly, it was, no. I, I, I enjoyed it so much. I mean, granted, I was meant to be working in my, my nine to five job, but I, I, it was the most thoroughly enjoyable two and a half hours I've ever spent. And I probably would do the exact same tomorrow because I, I, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it, and um, I think just wow, wow factor for me. Yeah, you don't need to have an intimate knowledge of rugby, but you've got a clash of, like, in my opinion, some of the funniest people on the planet are the Irish and the Scots, and you've got a shitload of them together in a room, and they're pissing, taking the piss out of the English lads quite a bit, which is funny to watch. And like, obviously, we don't really want to touch on the good stuff, really, because it's. Not funny, but there's a lot of inspirational moments of coaching and some great lessons you could take into life and sport. Um, one thing I found particularly funny, again, going back to that press practice, was um, Martin Johnson, who obviously went on to be probably one of England's most successful players. He's quite young in this. Looks like he's early 20s, maybe. I don't know. I'd guess. I'd guess he was early, mid-20s. And he was part of the media training as well that we mentioned Doddy Weir was in. And I love the part. It was quite a serious chat. And he was taking it really seriously. You can tell that he was mentally a gear above the rest of the squad, really, because he was quite intense. And he got asked the question, uh, Martin, you've cost England a couple of tries recently after losing your temper and throwing a punch. And the entire team pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> 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 just did not yeah. care. Cost England the Six Nations. 
Yeah, and all, all the rest of his teammates, all they could do is piss themselves laughing. And then Johnson reeled off a perfect answer. I anyway. I also liked the bit where Bentley's um, got Keith Wood in the swimming pool and he's pretending to be a whale. <laughs> <laughs> Here we have a rare species of Irish sperm whale. <laughs> Can we have a pool attendant, please? Well, You're not allowed to masturbate in the pool. <laughs> Again, that made the cut. Jeez. Yeah, that was allowed. I'd love oh, to see dear. if make the cut on that, by the way, because I think we all can say, without giving it away, if you've not watched it, YouTube yeah. and watch it, it is the best two and a half hours you'll spend this year. This little bit went under the radar as well for me. I hadn't remembered this from previous. Uh, Keith Wood is talking about his two passions in life, one being belly buttons and the other being pregnant women. <laughs> Talking to Tony Underwood. <laughs> and Tony's like, how do I top that? Ooh, Keep my passions are men. <laughs> just, like, it's just a nothing thing. Like, why is that even in the documentary? There's, there wasn't even a purpose behind it. Like, I think they were just getting a massage or something. They decided to throw it in. It's a two and a half hour documentary. <laughs> I was going to say, in the two and a half document, two and a half hour documentary, there is probably forty minutes of that that should not be in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, but we're glad it is. Oh, I'm absolutely over the moon. And we're pretty much reviewing the forty minutes that shouldn't be in there, but is. <laughs> we are. We're not talking anything about the actual performances on field. Yeah. Not interested. Next, the, the most serious thing that is still gold for me is when Ian McGeekin in the second test. It's a half-time speech, like literally one of the most intense moments of the whole series. And he says, we've got to keep our discipline, lads. He's going to give penalties. He's a Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, racist. Yeah. So I think we just, to, to, to round it off, really, watch it. Yeah. Your, life will be, your life will be made better. Yeah. And if there's anything that you spot that's particularly brilliant, email into the pod. We'll give you, we'll give you some more detail on that. Which, of course, is thevillagers at gmail.com. Excellent. Haven't set up a web address, but Gmail will do. Okay, uh, moving on. I have slightly changed up the original plan for the quiz. Um, I'm going to give you a set um, of dates and teams that somebody has played for, and you need to buzz in as soon as you think you know who this player is. Okay? Tom, what's your buzzer noise, mate? Um, I'm just going to say hammerhead. I will say Brewers. Okay. From uh, So the one clue I will give you is that he eventually did play in the Premier League. So I will start 1994 to 1996, Estudiantes. 1996, Boca Juniors. 1996 to 1998, Sampdoria. That's primetime Serie A. 1998 to 1999, Palmer. Ruiz. Nine. Sorry. I think I bottled it. Sabre Varane. It is Sabre Varane. Come on. Vamos. Did not even get to the Prem. That's excellent. I almost went for it at Boca Juniors. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Next. Next. <laughs> um, I did, pref just in case you did get it very early, I have pre prepared... Um, something that you'll like, Tom. Right. 
Who scored more Ashes runs? Alistair Cook or Ricky Ponting? Well, the series in, what was it, where we won it there? Was it 2010-11? Went nuts, didn't he? Yeah, he did go nuts, but Ponting. Oh, God, that is throwing me. That is, how many did, how many Cook played? Cook played, he played 06, 07, he went away and, and batted. So how many, how many has he played? Don't really remember him scoring that many or significant runs or having a massive series. I feel like he's always just contributed. But I feel like Cook has had that big one and that probably tips him. I don't know. Probably could be Ponting. I'm going to go Cook just for my English roots, but oh, it's close, isn't it? Uh, Ricky Ponting, 2,476 runs. Alistair oh. Cook, 2,493 runs. Very oh, close. Wow. Yeah, literally within 17 runs of each other. And you were correct, Alistair Cook. Shit, the bed. So what's that? What's the difference there? 16. 16? Oh, my yeah. God. That was a hell of a question. I mean, yeah. either way. Um, and the final one, who's taken more Ashes wickets? Syrian Botham or Stuart Broad? Broad. Just by three. Ian Botham, 128 wickets. Stuart Broad, 131 wickets. Jeez, well I, didn't actually, I didn't actually know Botham's numbers there. I just went off Broad thinking that the yeah. man is played. So. I think he's taken significantly more Ashes wickets than Jimmy Jimmy Anderson as well. He's uh, a bit of a monster in the Ashes. Broadish. Yeah, I think Anderson's, probably, Anderson's definitely less, isn't he? He's probably yeah, what, quite a few less, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's everything um, on the list for the from the villages this week. So we will check in again next week. Good evening. <laughs>